coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. Goodbye, Alan Rickman. No Deadpool for China. The Hong Kong Film Critics Association announced their 2015 awards. No Stephen Chow for Taiwan this Lunar New Year. And we talk about the first Hong Kong film of 2016, The Gigolo 2. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I am your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk inside an S&M dungeon is Mr. Kevin Ma. Well, hello, everybody. Ow! Whoa, what's that whip? Um, <laughs> hey there, how's it going, everybody? It's going good, it's going good. So, um, I guess, you know, now it's our it's our it's actually our second show of the year, but it's really our first show for the 2016 film year, as it were. Um, I just want to take a quick moment. You got any New Year resolutions you're going to try and hit this year, sir? I don't believe in New Year resolution anymore because, I mean, if you really have a resolution, might as well just make it anytime you want instead of making some kind of New Year thing, especially when me of such weak will really have no ability to uh, truly... Um, uh, live up to my resolutions. So um, I'm afraid I just sort of leave that to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really make any resolution in New Year. Rather, I just sort of make a new resolution every couple of weeks or months. Uh, yeah, that's how I work. Uh, how about you, Paul? Any, any any New Year resolution for you? Yeah, I usually try and throw out a couple, and I end up probably failing more than I than I success. But for this she year, does, why you don't make it? Yeah, don't th- make it. Yeah. This year, uh, my list is as follows. Uh, I'm giving up soda. And so far, that's going swimmingly. Um, so no more no more Coke, no more cola, no more ginger ale. And sticking solely with water and uh, fruit juice and the occasional ice lemon tea. So there's that one. Um, my other goal is try and do a lot more reading this year. Um, so I've set a target of trying to at least read uh, two books a month um, of a variety of nature. So that can include anything like graphic novels or also, um, you know, books of interest, but things that fall outside of my normal reading requirements for my job. So I have to do quite a bit of reading, academic reading for my job. And right. so I want to I want to start reading some stuff outside of that thing you know like not because i used to be be a big novel reader and um ever since you know working because you end up reading so much academic work it's like the end of the day i don't want to do any more reading um but i feel like i've i've lost out on a a section of um you know artistic influence in some ways by not going through create creative reading as it were so that's another goal. I've tried to, I'm going to try and hit uh, at least two books a month is my goal. We'll see if I can keep that up. Um, other standard goals, of course, you know, uh, try and lose some more pounds if I can and uh, get a bit more healthy. Um, and just try and do a, a more, have more creative output this year than I did last year. 
Right, I think um, that <clears throat> there's a rolling ghost for me, really. Uh, you know, lose weight, um, get back my creative side, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure, those are like rolling resolutions. So I don't really have to wait till New Year's to to want to try and do them. But um, you know, just everything else gets in the way. Seems yeah, like. yeah, understandable, understandable. Well, uh, we are here to talk about some other things besides our resolutions. So why don't we get into the thick of it with our news for the week? Here at the news desk, um, yeah, there was some news. I mean, as I was uh, going into Gigolo 2, get ready for some really terrible movie making, you know, hour and a half later, come out and we find out that Alan Rickman has died. Um, I know that a lot of people talk about his, his role as Snape uh, in, in the Harry Potter series, but I mean, you know, Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. You don't really just go... An actor like Alan Rickman remember him for something like Harry Potter, which you know, okay, I like Harry Potter, but but come on, Alan Rickman's a really great actor, and there are a lot more roles to remember him by. Um, like I said, there's Hans Gruber and Die Hard. Um, although one of kind of my personal favorite, and I think it in some ways a parody of himself, really. I think it's Galaxy Quest, um, where he plays a Shakespearean actor who was sort of. Um, uh, who took this role in the Star Trek-ish series in the 1970s and have to keep keep sort of being in that role because um, it, it's such a hit with the fans. Uh, and, and he sort of had this sneering attitude that the, the role is too good for him. And I always felt like it was kind of a parody of actors like him, uh, you know, respected um, uh, actors, actors, so to speak, who are, who are you know, slumming by doing these commercial activities and and i think uh that was a sort of pitch perfect uh parody of of himself and, and sort of his fellow actors um but paul what what about you i mean aside from snape or hans gruber what was your favorite alan rickman role yeah well because of the sci-fi angle i think the uh the one the one you know his role in galaxy quest is just a classic and but the one that always sticks in my head, and, and perhaps not for good reasons, but because it's kind of a terrible dog of a movie, is his role as the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, right? In uh, Robin Hood, in that classic line, I'm going to dig your heart out with a spoon. Why a spoon? Because it'll hurt more, you twit or something like that. Um, that I always remember him for that line. But of course, you know, he went on to do, again, really classic things, and uh, people will of course, remember him for Snape and, you know, a lot of other stuff. He, he would always pop up in, in um, things that you wouldn't expect. You know, he was that kind of actor you'd take a variety of different roles. So it was difficult to pigeonhole him. But I, I think popular culture, of course, is going to reflect on him because of, you know, Die Hard and Galaxy Quest and um, Harry Potter for sure. Another one that I really like actually was his role as like a, a smart ass angel in uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Dogma. Um, I know not many people remember that film, but I actually loved that film, and and I always thought that again, you know, Alan Rickman may be a Shakespearean actor, he's trained in the theater, but um, it, it always seemed like he was always game for for many different types of roles, and I think um um. The fact that he had the sense of humor about himself and the kind of actor that he represents, or the type of actor that that people think he is, that he sort of he sort of always make fun of it, and and I always appreciated that that sense of humor about him. Yeah, indeed, he will be missed. 
next up, um, honestly, to me, it's not really news. Uh, Deadpool, the the upcoming comic book film, uh, did not uh, meet Chinese censors' approval, and it would seem like the film it would be so unsalvageable cut that I think uh, it seems like Fox has just sort of given up um, at editing it. So yeah, not a surprise to me. Uh, no Deadpool for China. Yeah, the yeah. the thing because I'm really excited about this film just because of the um, the extreme nature of it. I'm very curious to see what they do with it. The trailers look very fun, so hopefully it can keep up that kind of momentum throughout the whole film. But I am curious to see what they do with it in Hong Kong because here in Hong Kong, they are kind of notorious for you know cutting stuff. Um, I don't know about notorious, Paul. I mean, you got Thailand, Malaysia. I mean, you got other Asian countries. Well, but even like also even, do this. Yeah, even even stuff they'll slap a category three on. They'll still go in and cut. Sometimes you know, it's like, well, you're going to give it a category three. Why, you know, why cut it? Um, so it's yeah. It, you know, I'm just curious. I'm hoping that we don't get um, a heavily edited down version, even if they give us a category three, or heaven forbid, they try and worm it down to a, a category 2b that would just be um terrible and you know i'm remembering think, back to um watchmen right because with watchmen they gave us um the category 3 version in imax because they apparently couldn't cut it if i remember correctly right but then like the regular general release was cut down to a category 2b right i mean everyone seems to like to um uh give crap about China, whatever, censoring films or whatever, but no one seems to talk about it happening anywhere else. I mean, Hong Kong, you know, Quentin Tarantino last week was saying that he would be happy or he'd be fine with Chinese fans downloading Hateful Eight because the film won't get into China, but, and he says, you know, he won't let any anyone watch a government-mandated uh, censored version, but what about local distributors like the one in Hong Kong would cut Inglorious Bastard to a Category 2B uh, for general release. Is that okay for me to download it then? Uh, or no one talks about Singapore uh, banning films. Um, there are some films that won't even pass R21. Um, that could be R21. I mean, that's like adults only, way adults only already, and still won't allow them to get in. Um, um, no one talks about Malaysia, which won't even allow kissing scenes uh, in their films. Uh uh, you know, yeah, okay, it's great. Okay, it's a big deal that Hollywood can't make its money back on Deadpool. But I mean, if we're really trying to make a point about censorship, then then what about you know? It's a bit hypocritical to not talk about the countries that do actually do it, um, but just doesn't matter because they don't really make much money for Hollywood. So yeah, I feel like it's it. Sure, we should bring this conversation to light about how other countries. Um, including the you know so-called developed Singapore uh, uh, banning and cutting films uh, for commercial purposes or for censorship, whatever. Um, but anyway, as for Hong Kong, I think there is because Deadpool is coming up around the New Year, which means um, Fox was clearly trying to get the Asian New Year holiday money um, international grosses, and this means they're going to try and make a really set or a more accessible film, and that may mean cutting down the film for a two B. Now, last year, um, Fox's um, New Year uh, R-rated film Kingsman, um, luckily did I think was edited actually for two B, slightly edited for two B, may have been, uh, may have not been, but actually that film also has some pretty hardcore violence and still did not get a category three. So. Um, yeah, let's let's see what happens. I mean, I don't 
think that there will be anything so extreme that that they'll have to cut it even with a category three. I mean, that kind of stuff is really safe for stuff like the human centipede, right? Or or scuds, um, scud stuff, which is like so gratuitous that like that that it, it borders on on pornography, really. I don't think Deadpool's. It is a Hollywood film. It is an R-rated film, and they're gonna keep it within the realms of the R rating, which means at the most a, a, a mid category three, and and probably likely a hard to be. That's really not, and probably yeah, won't be any restricted rating. I think here in Hong Kong. Hmm. Well, we we'll have to wait and see. I'm again keeping my uh, fingers crossed so that uh, we hopefully don't have to have uh, too much of a variation from what. Uh, people be seeing in the states what what i am worried about deadpool is that the trailer seems to be showing the same scenes over and over and over again with any new trailer and usually that's kind of a a a bit of a warning honestly um that the studio is is can't really seem to find anything else to show other than the same scene so that gets me a bit worried actually yeah i mean it's a it may well fall subject to the ryan reynolds curse but um you know, I'm I'm hopeful that that it'll finally break free of that. Uh, it seems like it's got the right kind of mindset and the right kind of humor, but whether it can carry the momentum through uh, is is the real question. But I'm I, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm more excited for it than uh, I think any of the other uh, Marvel properties. You know, it, it's it's not under Marvel. It's under um, it's uh, Sony or is it Fox? Yeah. Fox. Yeah. Um, Along with the X Men, but I, I'm more excited to see this than actually the X Men Apocalypse movie, just because of I want to, you know, I, I want to see a, a, the the how this kind of subject matter really does when taken to the extreme. So we'll see if it works. All right, next up we come back to uh, Asia uh, a bit. Um, the Hong Kong Film Critics Association, um, often sort of precursor to the Hong Kong Film Awards, has. Um, Announced their their picks for the year. Um, a bit disclaimer that our friend uh, friend of the show uh, Ross Chan or Kozo from Love HK Film uh, was at the meeting, but I have not actually spoken to him about about what went down at the meeting. So all I have to to report is really just the uh, the results um, for best film. Uh, Port of Call, uh, the Philip Yong uh, film about the uh, murder case. Best director Trey Hark for the taking of Tiger Mountain. Um, best screenplay goes to Murmur of the Hearts, the, the Sylvia Chang film. Uh, Port of Call also took the two acting awards, uh, one for Michael Ning and one for Chun Sha, the, the, the uh, girl who played the uh, murder victim. Uh, some of the final nominees uh, for best film, the nominees were the finalists uh, were Taking of Tiger Mountain, Murmur of the Hearts, Ten Years, and Office. Um, for acting, uh, you have Lawrence Koh from Len uh, for, for Murmur of the Hearts, uh, Zhang Han Yu from Taking Up Tiger Mountain, Aaron Kwok for Port of Call, sorry Aaron, um, Nick Chen for Keeper of Darkness, and Sing Hin for um, uh, uh, She Remembers, He Forgets. As for Best Actress, the finalists were Angelica Lee for Murmur of the Hearts, uh, Miriam Yuan for um, uh, God, it was a principal movie called Five Little Masters. Uh, no. Sylvia Chang for Office. Was it sorry? Five what? Was it Little Big Master? Sorry, Little Big Master. Sorry. Uh, Sylvia Chang for Office and Elaine Jin for Point of Call. Uh, they also came up with uh, seven recommended films um, for the year. 
Um, that's Taking of Tiger Mountain, Murmur of the Hearts, Ten Years, SPL Two, Office, Keeper of Darkness, and She Remembers He Forgets. So I guess that's a total of eight films that the Critics Association um, recommends. The the way they decide their awards is usually through a very very long discussion over a course of one day. So I'm guessing um. Uh, many films were discussed or possibilities were discussed so I guess we could start bringing up some of the films that apparently weren't considered um, so we have Little Big Master which was kind of the box office miracle of the year um, it was a finalist for best screenplay but it did not get considered and, and of course best actress but did not get considered uh, even for recommended film um, you also see uh, Wild City was uh Considered for best director for Ringo Lamb, but again, the film was not in the recommended list. Uh, one film that was screened for critics uh, before the end of the year, but um, did not get uh, considered at all, seems like, was Heaven in the Dark, the um, upcoming drama starring Karina Lamb and Jackie Chan. Um, the film is supposed to open in March, and it did screen for critics before the end of the year for award consideration. Uh, and it seems like Emperor's uh, effort has already backfired as it was not considered for any of the year-end awards. Um, Paul, anything that any, anything you hear that that feels like it's been left out that should have been uh, sort of considered? You think for the end of the year awards? Uh, well, no, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I wouldn't necessarily agree with uh, maybe some of the picks, but uh, most of them, I think, were. We're fairly spot on. Uh, expectations were met. Um, few surprises, but yeah. I feel like it was another kind of a weak year in a way. So I guess there aren't really many ways to go around it. Um, actually, Adam Wands, um, she remembers he forgets. Um, I think cause was supposed. You know, a lot of critics seem to like it. Uh, but it only sort of came in at the bottom of the recommended list uh, and was not even considered for best film in the finalist selection. So I guess that's a bit um, surprising. Um, yeah, otherwise it seemed like a good sort of precursor. I guess it sets up uh, a, a, a fairly good award season for Port of Call. Um, and I'm guessing that that the critics were considering the director's cut version, not the theatrical version, because that's... Um, the version that was sent to Golden Horse, that was a version that premiered at Hong Kong International Film Festival, and I guess that's most that's the version that the critics uh, saw and just considered. But anyway, yeah, uh, it's a good sort of a foreshadowing for what's coming up at the Hong Kong Film Awards in March. Um, the nominees will be uh, announced, I think, at the end of the month, so uh, let's see how those picks um, coincide with uh, Hong Kong film critics. So one question. Um... Sure. Andy's movie Saving Mr. Wu did not qualify, right? It did not qualify, I think, because of uh, being the China production. It's not a Hong Kong production at all. Right, okay. Yeah, it has one Hong Kong star, but did not have a Hong Kong money, did, did not have a Hong Kong crew. So it was just because, so it only had one one out of three considerations. So uh, so it didn't consider, it wasn't considered Hong Kong. And and what about his other movie? Um, Lost in Love? Lost in Love. Yeah. Same, same deal. Uh, uh, Andy Lau is the only Hong Kong element in that film. No, that that had uh, the, the cameos do not count. Sandra M too, right? The, the cameos do not count. Really, cameos don't count. Okay, yeah. yeah. So pretty... so we talk about main main and major supporting cast. So let's say it will be Andy Lau, Jim Boran, um, um, who else? Um, 
those are like the main ones, right? I guess. Uh, even Dearest. Um, oh, Dearest was last year. Sorry, last year's award. Sorry. Yeah, that's about it. So yeah, no, Andy Lau is the only major element, uh, the only Hong Kong element in that film. Um, and again, cameos don't count. So that's it. Yeah. How do they define a cameo? Um, the company, actually, the film companies uh, uh, submit a list of actors to consider for awards. So, for example, Best Actor, they say, oh, consider Andy Lau. Or, for example, for Best Supporting Actor, consider Jim Boran. Uh, these will be considered for Supporting Actor. So then when, when voters vote, they sort of get a guide on who to vote for or who to submit their votes for mm. when, they, when they do the nomination process. So each film company, when they submit a film, they have to list the actors to be considered for the awards. So clearly, Sandra Ng or Tony Leung, with only one scene each, really, they would not be considered. Uh, they would not be considered by the film company for awards because that would be sort of. A, they might put their put their. Uh, they want to put all their all their eggs in a basket. You know, I don't know sure what the right uh, word is, but yeah, I mean, so so actually, the film companies sort of dictate who the um, whom the voters should consider for for specific awards. Yeah. Oh well. Sorry, Andy. Maybe next year. All right. Final bit of news. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but many people don't know that actually Taiwan uh, does not allow uh, more than 10 Chinese films into Taiwan cinemas each year. Um, the only exception they make is uh, the past, past few years, they've sort of added this uh, uh, clause that if a film has, if a China film has won the Best Director or Best Film Award in the world, the three big European festivals. I'm talking about uh, Cannes, Berlin, or Venice, or the Best Director or Best Film Award at the Golden Horse Awards, then it can bypass that quota. But So like China, actually, while China has a 20-film quota for foreign films, Taiwan has a 10-film quota for mainland Chinese films. Now, how do they decide these 10 films? They do a lottery at the beginning of every year choosing 10 films uh, from a list of candidates. Uh, so, f- again, film companies, uh, they submit their film to the lottery, and the films that the 10 films that get picked um, will get a release in, in Taiwan. Um, so the vote happened, or the lottery happened last year, unfortunately. There were some um, high-profile films, like Mr. Six, the, the Guan Hu film starring Feng Xiaogang, um, Stephen Chow's Mermaid, which is coming out for Lunar New Year. Um, also, Zhang Yanke's uh, 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 Mountains May Depart. Unfortunately, all three of those films did not get the top 10 in their lottery. Um, instead, the 10 films uh, for the year, and I don't have the English name for all of them, so I'll just sort of mention the ones that I do have English names for. Um, some of the 10 films include Brotherhood of Blades, the Taiwan film, Da Tong, uh, Beijing Love Story, Bushin uh, Saba Free, which is a Chinese horror film made by a Korean director. Monster Hunt, The Master, Railroad Tigers, which is a Jack Chan film. Uh, Dad, Where Are We Going? The reality show film, the first one. And the indie film, Kylie Blues. Now, it, it sounds a bit, some of the films sounds a bit outdated. That's because film companies can actually resubmit their films over the years. So, for example, Beijing Love Story didn't get picked last year. So the film company probably resubmitted it this year uh, for the lottery, and they got picked. So they get to have a release this up this year if they wish. Now, if the... Um, so each each film gets a number. So if any of the top 10 films, don't uh, the companies don't choose not to release it, then the next number comes up and takes the quota. 
Unfortunately, Mermaid, the, the Stephen Chow film, is at number 44, which means 34 other films have to... 33 other films... Yeah, I think that's how it works. 33 other films uh, have to give up... Or 34 other films have to give up their quota before the Stephen Chow film gets released. Now, that screws up that Greater China day-in-day day release strategy that, that, that Stephen Chow did, that had, or had in mind, uh, unfortunately, but... Yeah, that's that's the way uh, it goes. So you know, the quota seems to go both ways, Paul. Uh, yeah, yeah, what what do you I, think, Paul? Yeah, just uh, take Quentin Tarantino's stance and tell him to download it. <laughs> oh, I don't think you can tell you don't. You, I don't think you have to give permission for Taiwan Edison to download movies. Yeah. They they download plenty of their own. But I mean, I, I, I it's such a weird strategy. I mean, I would have to think that the people who really wanted to see something like Beijing Love Story would have already gotten the DVD, right? There's no DVD in, in Taiwan, I believe. But I mean, they can they can order abroad, right? It's not Taiwan's not like China. Is there even a DVD release of this one? Beijing Love Story? Yeah, I don't think there's even a Hong Kong DVD release, is there? Uh, that's the one with Tony Lung, right? Yeah, is there? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I've seen it. Anyway, the the point, yeah, actually, that's why that's why companies do have to write because they probably just sort of submit, hoping they'll get, you know, just sort of throw their hat in the ring. But in the end, they may decide that you know, trying to set up a theatrical release, all the resources it takes may not be worth their time. So they can give up the quota if they choose not to release the film. Then they give up the quota. Then that's why the next film, number eleven, will come up, and then the next one gives up, number twelve, thirteen, and so on and so forth. So not all these ten films may get the permission for release but they may not end up getting released anyway because of you know various strategies or whatever um unfortunately i don't have the entire you know 1 to 40 or 1 to 50 60 something um list but yeah um unfortunately steven chow is so down the line that taiwan audiences would not likely see mermaid in their cinemas Hmm. i'm curious as to do do you think that we're gonna get only the cantonese dub here in hong kong yeah, sure. I think it would be just like just like uh, what happened with Journey to the West. That yeah, they know that audiences won't so flock and watch a Mandarin version of a film, and they just choose to because they do localize, right? So they localize it, and but it sounds. I mean, I just watched the Cantonese trailer. It sounds so terrible. It's all such canned sound, and it doesn't sync up well. And but what makes you think that the the, the Mandarin version isn't actually done all with? post-production i mean all dubbed well, maybe, I mean, most maybe, kind of films these days all the dialogue is actually recorded in a studio anyway maybe it is but uh, that's just even the mandarin trailer honestly comes off a bit canned because again all these audio all the audio audio are 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 recorded in the studio not not on a on the set uh, so so actually even the mandarin version of the trailer has a similar effect yeah yeah it just sounds like crap i know but the the Hong Kong film company doesn't care yeah so all right. Well, thank you for your reportage once again from the news desk. Why don't we take a short musical break and we'll come back to talk about our film for this week, The Gigolo 2. Got you when I want you and I'm never gonna let you get away from me Hey, when I tell 
And we're back. Our film, the first film, technically, of 2016, just as it was the first film last year of 2015 with the uh, first Gigolo. We now have the Gigolo 2 from different director this time, Venus Kankwokman. The story picks up kind of where the last one left off, um, but takes a different focus. Uh, so faced with a lack of opportunities and a cheating boyfriend, Monica, played by Connie Mann, begins working as a paid escort, and her introverted nature and naivete about sex lead her to seek the help of club owner and former king of gigolos, Fong, played by Dominic Ho, star of the last film. But as Monica's training increases and her demand grows, she soon finds herself developing deeper feelings for her mentor. Oh, what will without love or money? Do we want to know? Um, so, yeah, the first film out of the gate for 2016, arguably hoping for a repeat of the um, substantial success, I'd say, of the, the 2015 version. Um, sadly, though, Lightning and Sidewang do not strike twice. So, uh, yes, and uh, as I forgot to throw out earlier, well, you know, we're going to be talking about a technically a Category 3 film here. So, uh, you know, if you're listening with the kitties, now might be the time to turn things off. Um, so yeah, the film is technically category three, but not really for nudity. Only as uh, one of our film members mentioned as we were walking out, only for gyration, <laughs> as it was put. Um, so yeah, this is basically like a Lan Kwai Fong 4. So if you're familiar with the Lan Kwai Fong series, this is a series of kind of borderline 2B Category 3 films that don't really go into Category 3 territory. Um, they use clever camera angles and lighting to conceal naughty bits, and you get the occasional butt crack shot. That's about it. Well, um, Funk didn't have butt cracks, so you gotta give it to this one for adding butt cracks in the film. Did it, did it not? Because I know that... It did um, not have butt cracks. Um, yeah. the, one, uh, the one that Connie Mann did with Chapman Toe, uh, flirting in the air. Um, so that has a shot of her from the back with some butt cracks. So I think, body double though, I think that was category three. I don't think it's so because she get, gave like an over the shoulder glance, if I remember. Oh. So, um, um no, been, that was a uh, category two B, I think. Was it? Uh, I, I thought it was category three. But anyway. I'm pretty sure Connie Mann had a body double in this film, actually. You think so? I think so because you see the back. When you see a shot of her back, you never see her face, and when you see a shot of her face, you never see the back. Yeah, that's true. So it's definitely it was. De- I was I'm ninety percent sure it was a body double. Well, anyway, um, so yes, we, we, we that this doesn't go into anywhere near the territory that the first film went into. Um, Dominic Ho, who had what I consider to be kind of a fun and strong presence in the first film is sadly underused here. This isn't his film. It's not really about his character. It's more about um, Connie Mann's character. Connie Mann, who you have seen, as we just mentioned, doing things like the yip tees in movies like Flirting in the Air. She also has appearances in uh, Lang Kwai Fong 2 and 3, um, as well as some other things like, I think she was a minor role in Vegas to Macau 2 and a few other places. But she takes the film's central focus and she's about as interesting as a wet digestive biscuit. I mean, she just has really poor line delivery. Um, and just for my taste, not a lot of sex appeal uh, in, in the film. And is just kind of muddling through scenes. She kind of mumbles her lines a lot. 
Um, and even the supposedly fun scenes, the, so they have like one sequence, one training sequence where it's supposed to be kind of fun and funny, but it's just kind of dull um, over overall. Now, I don't blame her. Um, I For this film, I lay this, the blame squarely at the feet of the director, Venus Kang. He's mostly got credits as a cinematographer. He's got about six credits for um, other films, including, I think, um, The Princess... Bullet and Brain. Bullet and Brain, um, Black Ransom, Princess and... Was it Six Kung Fu Masters or something? Um, So, yeah. The thing that surprised me is that as a cinematographer, you would think that the cinematography would be kind of amazing here, given all his credits on cinematography, but it's not. It's, And it features almost sophomoric um, stylizations, right? So anytime there's a climax, it cuts to like a volcanic eruption or fireworks or a rocket launch as a visual metaphor. I mean, seriously, this is an experienced director, um, or at least an experienced person in the industry going to these sort of very basic visual analogies. Um, and it's, it, it may be there the first time to generate laughter, but when it's used multiple times, it's just like, really, that's, that's what you're going to do. Um, so the plot is, yeah, mostly Connie Mann bouncing around with her friend, um, Sushi played by uh, Iris Chung Johei, and they go from party to party that's basically hosted by the same four guys, right? So that's all they do. They, 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 they're, they, they're trying to have a film career, but their film career is not going anywhere. So they just go to these parties, which are hosted by these four rich guys, which include Tony Ho, um, Samuel Lung, Chuck Moon, um, and um, um, uh, the local uh, Indian. Is he Indian or Pakistani? I'm not sure. Um, but he's basically a Hong Konger. Um, Gil Mohindapal Singh, um, who you'll recognize from um, lots of other cameos in movies and things. Um, and so, like, they hang around with this older dude, and they just throw these, basically, parties where the girls get invited over as escorts, and they, you know, switch around which ones they're going to um, sleep with. If you're a frequent Hong Kong film watcher, you'll actually recognize the house location that they shoot at as well. Um, I remember it from uh, Golden Chicken SSS uh, a couple years back, and I think it's been in a couple others as well. And so there's just not a lot of new uh, going on in this film like there was in the first film. And arguably the first film wasn't a lot of new, but at least it felt fresh and, and it felt fun. And here it feels like the that's all sort of been literally sucked out of, of the filmmaking. Um, there is a new actress who goes by the name of Leslie Lamb. Uh, Lam, Lam Lehan. Sorry, let me get that correct. Uh, she plays a uh, client named Isabel, who goes to Fung to learn the pleasures of sex without actually having sex. Okay, so he's got to come up with like creative ways to teach her about sex without actually. He can't have sex with her because she wants to save herself for her fiance. She's getting married, like in a month or something. But of course, over time, she starts to get feelings for Fung as well, and. It creates this somewhat convoluted plot. Um, another plot uh, involves a regular cameo and 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 sometimes um, supporting actor Alex Lam Chi Sin, who is one of Fung's dancers, and he, it, it's almost like uh, a little nod to Magic Mike in some ways, um, where he ends up falling for 
Connie's friend Sushi, but gets caught up in a sort of a dangerous S&M group thing as he's trying to make more and more money. Mostly, though, the film just kind of plods along at an uninspiring pace, um, one scene to the next. There's no real fun training sequences like you had in the first one, or the human sushi table gags. Um, In their place, you just get really dull, sexy time and some uninspired laughs. Um, Connie Man does have a sequence where she does some terrible things to Tofu. But again, it just wasn't very funny. It wasn't really um, overly inspired. So not as funny or fun as the first film. And I argued, I'd arguably say you'd be better off just kind of sitting through the first one again um, rather than trying to take on this one. Not a great way to start the year, sadly, because uh, I was kind of really looking forward to this film. And I'm not, as I've said before, I'm not a big fan of Category 3 movies. But I had so much fun in the last one that... Um, I was hoping that we'd get a semblance of that here, but nowhere close, unfortunately. So, uh, Kevin, were you uh, disappointed by this? Did you have any expectations going in? You know, I, I know that some people say that films like these sort of aim low and therefore, you know, shouldn't expect much. But the thing is, I, I sort of equate it with. I mean, how hard do you try, right? I mean, when you're aiming high, you obviously, when you fail, you can't really blame you, right? Because you're trying to make, trying to make golf the win and you end up making gigolo. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, you know, you try hard, but unfortunately not good, right? But when you're aiming low, it's like, so you're playing, if you're, if you're a, 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 a novice, a amateur baseball player and you're trying to swing a pitch from... I don't know, name a pitcher that's actually good. A major league pitcher. You can't hit the ball, it's fine. You know, it's a tough it's a tough thing to try, and if you don't succeed, I don't blame you. But when you're trying to hit a T-ball, which is essentially, what is it, like a, pole, a ball that's on a pole, that's literally sitting on a pole waiting for you to hit, and you still miss, then you're just a failure at life. <laughs> and that, to me, is what a Gigolo 2 is. A, sw- a a batter who can't even hit a ball on a pole. <laughs> Winless. Um, yes, a, a category three film that can't even show a single nipple, except for male. I'm sorry, female nipple. Okay, um, and cannot even deliver a, a proper sex scene. You know, I'm not trying to be like perverted. I don't want to see like particular actresses nipple, whatever. Um, I'm just saying, you have a film called The Gigolo. Two, a category three film, although perhaps not by choice, but at least you know your previous predecessor did all this stuff, and even though it was a bad film, at least it was a decent exploitation film that was exploitative, that was gratuitous, as it should be. You have a film that's selling gratuitous sex and selling uh, 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 exploitation, and yet you deliver something that's like watered down, yeah. and it's not even trying hard. So, you know, I mean, just the, the whole lazy laziness of the script and the exposition and the directing is, in the beginning, the film, uh, there's a scene set on a yacht. And now, I mean, it's not like a Titanic here, right? It's not even the Taiping boat that's in, in the crossing. It's like a small little yacht. These people spend, spend an entire day in the yacht. And the Connie Man character goes to the other side of a yacht <laughs> and sees Fung there and go, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. To see you on the small ass yacht that I spent the entire day on, you know, it's like 
they can't even think of dumbass little details like this. So for me, it was just a very infuriating 90 minutes. And now I had fun with how bad it was. But at the end of it, you know, I felt really ripped off. And, you know, we watched this in a dynasty, all right? And, and it's Gigolo 2. So how disappointed did I have to be to feel ripped off? Just guess. Take a guess. Yeah. It's interesting when you end up getting more entertainment out of the reactions of the audience around you. And this was a pretty full house. I mean, there were a lot of people for oh, yeah. a, uh, an opening Dynasty night, uh, more so than usual. And just hearing kind of the groans and the the, the sighs of, you know, exasperation at, at, at some of the things they were seeing on screen was funny. I saw one guy just get out, get up and leave um, pretty early on. Um, the thing too is uh, the rumor was that they were actually going for a 2B rating and then they pushed it slightly above the three again, I guess because of the gyration as it's explained to me. Um, but to me, like you said, that is like taking a property, which Hollywood did like they took, you know, RoboCop basically rated R movie beloved for its rated R-ness and then they drop it down to a PG-13, right? Because they're, you know, just trying to expand the market and then it loses everything that made it special, you know? Um, and so it's, it feels very much the same here. It's, it's lost that specialness and it's not because, you know, well, it's not because you're going in looking for naughty bits. It's because they set a bar with the first film. And they didn't even try and make it over that bar this time, right? It's like a lot of films, they'll come out bigger and, and they'll try and do something, you know, they'll throw more money at it and they'll try and make it bigger and more explosive and whatnot because they're trying to, you know, get beyond the bar that they established with the first film. And a lot of times there's failure in that. But here it's like they're not even shooting for that. They're just trying to limbo under it. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there it is. Unfortunately, you know, I guess we can only go up from here, right? So, uh, we, we can look forward to <laughs> the I'm things. I'm sorry, are we going to spoiler section? Uh, if you, if you want, we can throw in some spoilers, yeah. Let's not, but I mean, I, I hope we don't have to see any more of Jiggle films, and I, I do lot at giving us an ending that does not set up for a sequel, that's all I can say. Well, you never know, because, you know, some characters... From the, uh, you know, from the first film, um, actors from the first film show up in completely different roles. So, you know, anything is possible in the world of Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> that is true. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I forgot what I wanted. I mean, Tony Ho plays the villain twice already in this series. He's already like the, the Mark Chang of this, or was it John, John Yu-Yu? The John Yu-Yu of this, this franchise already yeah. showing up as two different villains. <laughs> And honestly, I, the thing is, I, I saw more gratuitous nudity in Fifty Shades of Grey than, these, than this, which, by the way, probably inspired some parts of this film. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. 
Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also have a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us over at our website. That is kongcast.com, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. And we're on Twitter, twitter.com slash Comcast. When Twitter is uh, up, apparently had a major outage today. Uh, we are also available on the email. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. Drop us a line, drop us a question. Tell us you love us, tell us you hate us. Uh, tell us anything you'd like, and we might read it here right on the show. You can also go over to the Facebook group. That is East S West S and uh, follow updates on the show and the schedule and what's going on as well. I do urge you to follow along with Mr. Ma over on uh, his various uh, places of social media and uh, creativity. So, sir, where can they find more out more about what you're doing? <clears throat> um, well, you can read me every month on Discovery Magazine, um, now available on Cathay Pacific and Dragon, well, Silk Road Magazine as well, uh, available on Cathay Pacific and Dragon Air Flights, um, also on the iPad, by the way, and uh, I think we might be expanding Google Play, I'm not sure uh, yet, but I think at least you can get it on your iTunes store for your iPad. Um, follow my Twitter, www.twitter.com slash the golden rock. That's one word, the golden rock. And yeah, that's about it for now. All right. Well, our next show will be episode 183. And it looks like we're going to be talking about the new Ronald Chang Francis mm joint, House of Wolves. Um, and then we'll be pretty soon after that getting into the uh, Chinese New Year era, I think. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying our safe word is podcast. And we'll see you next time. Podcast. See you next time, everybody. Dream with